Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays. Congratulations to Michigan on winning their first undisputed national title since 1948. I was there yesterday in Houston. My wife is a Michigan alum. I will discuss Michigan winning the title, what, if anything, we learned, and why I was wrong on every bet that I placed in the college football playoff. Well done by me. That's important to recognize. Just as hard to go 0-3 as it is to go 3-0. Jimmy Kimmel versus Aaron Rodgers goes fully nuclear. I will break down everything surrounding this story and tell you what I think is significant and what is insignificant and what I think of it overall. Mike Vrabel fired by the Titans. What in the world are the Titans thinking in firing Vrabel? And we're five days from Iowa. What is going to happen in Iowa? What should we expect? I will break all of that down for you. We start with Michigan winning the title last night. First, before we even get into last night's game, I was wrong about Jim Harbaugh. For the first several years that Jim Harbaugh was at Michigan, and this culminated in the 2020 season, Jim Harbaugh was the most overrated coach in the history of college football. Relative to his accomplishments, no one had been talked about more, no one had been praised more than Jim Harbaugh. He lost five straight years to Ohio State. They would have lost in year six, but the game was canceled because of COVID, And at the end of 2020, it felt like Jim Harbaugh basically was done at Michigan. They cut his salary. It seemed even Michigan was okay with the idea that he would leave and potentially go to the NFL. But then, starting in 2021, suddenly everything went really well for Jim Harbaugh. And I will admit, I was right for the first six years I didn't see this pivot coming in year seven, year eight, and year nine. There isn't really a precedent for this in college football. I can't think of a situation prior to this where a guy has been a head coach for six years, hasn't really won a division, hasn't ever won a conference title, hasn't ever really contended at a high level, even won a bowl game, I don't think, and then suddenly catches fire in years seven, eight, and nine, wins three straight conference titles, three straight divisions, beats Ohio State three straight years, advances to the playoff, three straight years, I believe, and then wins the playoff. Didn't exist, wins a national title. To my knowledge, in the modern era, there's no precedent for what Jim Harbaugh has done. So I was right for the first six years. I was 100% wrong on year seven, eight, nine. I didn't see him coming. I didn't think that Jim Harbaugh would ever win a title at Michigan, 
either Big Ten or national, based on the first six years. I think most Michigan fans agreed with me. But your boy, year seven, eight, and nine, I was wrong. Congrats to Michigan proving me wrong, Jim Harbaugh uh, winning the title. What does this title say? What should we take away from it looking forward? I don't know is the easy answer. Historically in college football, you could look at recruiting class rankings and pretty much guarantee which teams were going to be contending for titles. That still matters. The overall quality of your recruiting class still matters. But now with the transfer portal, things have changed so much that it's harder to judge teams and to have expectations about how good they are going to be because even if you don't have elite-level talent on your team, you can go out and put together elite talent. Now, Michigan, to Jim Harbaugh's credit, has developed a lot of talent on this team. I believe I'm correct that in terms of four- and five-star talent, Michigan had the 14th best roster by recruiting class rankings entering this year. But they developed a lot of that talent. Washington was way farther down on the list, but they brought in Michael Penix Jr. as a uh, as a talented quarterback transfer, and that changed their overall trajectory. So one really great quarterback in college football, as you all know, can change everything. But in a 12-team playoff context, it's a little bit challenging to even figure out, looking forward, how to project because, look, Frankly, the Big 12 is not going to deserve a automatic berth in the college football playoff. And the Big 12 is certainly not going to deserve a bye to get one of the four best seeds. That's just not going to be deserved if you look at the Big 12. It's unlikely, in my opinion, that the Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma is very often going to have one of the four best teams in college football. I think some years, the ACC is not going to deserve a bid. Every year, the Big Ten and the SEC is going to deserve a playoff bid for its champion and a bye. I wish they would do away with the idea that you get an automatic playoff uh, uh, bye if you win the uh, conference in the Big 12 or the ACC, which is probably the way this is going to shake out. I wish they would just take the top 12 teams in the college football playoff rankings, period. And maybe you say, okay, take the top 11 and then the highest rated non-Power 5 or Power 4 as it's going to be going forward, conference champion. I'd be fine with that. I really wish we'd just take the top 12 because if you're not in the top 12, I think that matchup against 5 and 12 is going to be such a huge advantage uh, for whichever team is the five seed in the playoff. But to me, the way they're constructing it is wrong, and I'm just giving you an early preview of some of the attacks that are going to happen. So I think it's hard to take a lot of lessons from Michigan's win other than it was a great scene. It was a great environment. I was there, like I said, with my wife, who is a Michigan grad, sitting in the Michigan section. Uh, And I'm glad that I was there for the national title game. This is the first national title game I went to uh, since 2019, 
uh, going into 2020 when Joe Burrow and LSU won the title. I went to like, I don't know, seven or eight national title games in a row there. Then 2020 happened. I was like, I don't want to travel for it. I've been on the road the last couple of years, I think, for the national title. But I believe, I believe this is the first time I've ever been in the seats watching from the stands as a fan ever for the national title game. So that was a fun experience. Appreciate all the people from Michigan and Washington who said hi. Uh, I had a good time attending this game. Again, congrats to Michigan. The Jim Harbaugh win without precedent. And now the question is, what's Harbaugh going to do? And if Jim Harbaugh came to me and he said, hey, Clay, what do you think I should do? He's in a good spot, right? Because it's not about money. He's probably going to make similar money in the NFL or in college football. I think Jim Harbaugh has to decide What is the future of college football coaching going to be? Let me just give you a little behind-the-curtains view. It used to be that people went to college football. Nick Saban is a perfect example of this because they wanted complete control. And in the NFL, players, top players with big contracts have more control than coaches do. And Nick Saban found that out when he went back to Miami. He didn't like it. He wanted total control, so he went to college. I understand that. Also, get to go recruit. You can go recruit five or six first-round picks every year. In the NFL, typically you only get one. The quality of your team can be drastically different than the quality of the team that you're coaching against, which doesn't happen in the NFL very often. All these things are true. But I would argue with you that the college football jobs are now way more complicated than NFL jobs. By which I mean the NFL has a set calendar and they have a set draft schedule and you can have a more relaxed life, I really believe, in the NFL where you know when the draft is going to be, when you know how free agency works, when you know that contracts actually mean something when you sign a player. You draft a player in the first round of the NFL, you've got him for four or five years if you want to pick up the option, guaranteed. Player's playing, he's playing for you. You go get a top recruit now, he can immediately go into the transfer portal and hold you hostage and say, I'm out. Now you have to manage relationships, not with agents based on NFL player association contracts, but based on all these 17 and 18-year-old kids and oftentimes the guys that they have advising them are not uh, pro-athlete agents. These are not fully grown adults. There is no players association guarantee in terms of what the union expects for your performance. And it's an all-around job. You still have to spend all the time recruiting. Now you have to worry about both your guys going into the transfer portal and recruiting other guys who enter into the transfer portal. You have to worry about managing not only what you're paying players who are on the roster now, but how those payments impact recruits and playing time and everything else associated with that, I think being a college football coach now is way more challenging than being an NFL coach. So for Jim Harbaugh, if you just want to coach ball, I think you coach ball more in the NFL than you do in college football. I think the college football job is way more challenging. And if focusing on college football is the goal, uh, sorry, focusing on coaching football is the goal, I think you do more of that in the NFL now. I really do. So that will be intriguing to see what's going to happen going forward. Uh, 
Mike Vrabel fired by the Titans while we're talking about the NFL. Crazy. This is a remarkably dumb move, in my opinion, by the Tennessee Titans franchise. Mike Vrabel uh, came within a whisker of going to the Super Bowl, losing to the AFC uh, champion Kansas City Chiefs on the road just a few years ago. Two years ago, he was the coach of the year when despite tons of injuries and having Ryan Tannehill as his quarterback, he had the number one overall seed, sacked Joe Burrow, his defense did, nine times. If Ryan Tannehill only throws two interceptions instead of three, the Titans probably host the AFC championship game. I think Mike Vrabel will be hired in like five minutes if he wants to be hired by another team. I think this is a disastrous choice by the Titans' ownership. I think it's very unlikely that you will get anybody better. And I always like to say, okay, pretend that you were going out and hiring a coach. Mike Vrabel would be the best option for the Tennessee Titans on the coaching market right now. Uh, I don't think it's possible to get a better guy. Now, you can criticize uh, Vrabel's assistant coaches. You can say that, uh, that you wish that he had had better talent, although Arthur Smith ends up the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Seems to be a pretty good hire that he made there. Uh, and you uh, also look at LaFleur, ends up the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Seems to be a pretty good hire there. Uh, by and large, Mike Vrabel, I think, did a decent job on his assistant coaches, even when he's promoting from within. And he did it without an elite quarterback, right? Nobody out there thinks Ryan Tannehill is any better than the 12th or 13th best quarterback. The Titans giving Ryan Tannehill over $100 million probably was a poor decision. Look at their last three first-round draft picks. I don't know who made the final call on it, uh, but you got Isaiah Wilson, who basically never played. Uh, You've got uh, the corner out of Virginia Tech, Fuller, I think, who has basically never played. And you've got Traylon Burks, who is essentially a, was it Fulton? I can't even remember the guy's name. He played so little. Whatever. The cornerback out of Virginia Tech, the Titans took in the first round. And now you got Traylon Burks, who never uh, is going to, based on the first two years, emerge as a top receiver. I don't imagine that it was Vrabel's decision to trade away A.J. Brown, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, and get back for him. Traylon Burks, which now looks like one of the worst decisions of all time uh, when you look at the difference in performance between those two. So, uh, again, the Titans' draft picks have been a disaster. Not so much what's going on uh, with uh, everything else. I got to look up, by the way, this guy's name, who was the second round, uh, first round pick, Virginia Tech corner. uh, that the Titans drafted. I want to make sure I get his name right. Uh, Caleb, sorry, Caleb Farley. You know it's a bad thing when you can't even remember your team's number one draft pick two years after you took him? He basically hasn't played at all. He's had health issues. Uh, uh, these guys have not panned out. Isaiah Wilson essentially never played first-round tackle choice. Caleb Farley essentially has never played corner choice. Uh, and now Traylon Burks has played two years. I think he has one career touchdown catch. So same number as Jeffrey Simmons, Titans defensive tackle. That's not ideal either. I don't understand the decision to fire Mike Vrabel. I also, and this is key, how in the world do you fire Mike Vrabel 
and not get a draft pick for him. Somebody would have given up an asset for Mike Vrabel. Maybe it's only a second-round pick. Maybe it's a third-round pick. He's under contract for years remaining. Why, uh, like with Sean Payton, why not like with uh, John Gruden back in the day, why would you not require that somebody compensate you for the fact that you took a chance on Mike Vrabel, gave him a job, that he had success, that he won Coach of the Year two years ago? I don't agree with moving on from Vrabel, but if he came in and he said, I don't want to be here anymore, and you made the decision, okay, let's figure out a way for him to be departing, how would you not get a draft pick for him? His contract is an asset of the organization. Even if you only get a second or a third round pick, to me, you have an obligation to make the choice to get a value for the asset that you have created. This seems like mismanagement on an epic scale that you just let Mike Vrabel walk and now somebody else is going to sign him. Why did you sign him to a contract in the first place? And is the, the franchise so poor that they can't even get compensated for that? It seems like a real mismanagement. So I have two primary issues with this. One, you shouldn't have fired him because I don't think you can do better. But two, if you are deciding to fire him, or sorry, move on for him, then get a draft pick for him. At least a second or third round pick, if not a first round pick from somebody. Why would you just allow him to leave? Uh, All right, Jimmy Kimmel, Aaron Rodgers. This is a big story. Last night, I'm watching Michigan-Washington. When I finish uh, the game, getting in the car, I see that Jimmy Kimmel has started off his monologue with a seven-minute-ish takedown of Aaron Rodgers for the comments that Aaron Rodgers made on Pat McAfee's show about the Epstein list coming out and the possibility that Jimmy Kimmel is going to be on it. All right, a couple of things here. Before I even dive into this analysis, I don't believe that any host should be responsible for what any guest says on their program. That is, I fundamentally reject the idea that you are somehow responsible for what someone else says on your program, okay? I'm responsible for what I say. I'm not responsible for what somebody else says. I don't buy into this whole idea of, oh my goodness, how dare you platform someone and allow them? No, you can have on anybody like Aaron Rodgers, multiple uh, future first ballot Hall of Famer, Super Bowl winner. I think he's won like four NFL MVPs, whatever that is. He's a quarterback. It makes sense to have him on any sports show in America. And if you have him on and he says interesting things that make news, whether you agree or disagree with him, I think that's the goal of a guest. In fact, let me take you behind the curtain here for a minute and just tell you, I've hosted uh, shows for, I don't know, 15, 20 years now. And I can tell you that most shows are either host-driven or they're guest-driven. The best shows, in my opinion, have to be host-driven. I can't control what any guest is going to say on any program I've ever done. 
I can't control what their opinions are going to be. I can't control whether they're going to be interesting on any given week. The only thing I can control is my opinion and my work ethic and what I put out into the world. I am, in every show that I've ever done, going to be primarily host-driven that I'm going to give you opinions that you can react to, agree with, disagree with. And that has worked very well. Local radio in Nashville, sports talk radio nationwide with Fox Sports Radio, and now it works well on Clay and Buck. If I were giving advice to anyone who wants to do what I do, I would say focus on your own performance. It's the only thing you can control. Guess, in my opinion ultimately don't matter in terms of whether your show is going to be successful or not. Because if you're relying on guests exclusively, then that means that you're not a good enough host. Ultimately, anyone in my kind of job has to be the driving force behind whether the show is successful or not. But guests also can help supplement the host. And what guests should do is give you interesting opinions and or expertise. If someone is not giving you on a radio program or a a television program or any show, if a guest is not giving you interesting opinions or expertise, they make no sense at all as a guest. Okay, Interesting opinions or expertise. Guy can be one or the other. Sometimes, in an ideal situation, you mix both. To me, it seems Aaron Rodgers does both. And so I think what's going to happen going forward is in the wake of Aaron Rodgers' performance on the uh, Pat McAfee show today, I think you're going to see a continued step up on the argument that Aaron Rodgers shouldn't be platformed. You're going to see a lot of people on the left-wing sports media start to argue and build on this idea, oh, why is ESPN even giving Aaron Rodgers a platform to spread all of his misinformation? This is unacceptable. You're going to see this a lot, okay? And if I were advising Pat McAfee, I would say, hey, this is the way they're going to come after your show. They're going to try to restrict who you can have on as a guest. And as a host, I can tell you 100%, No one has ever told me what guests I can have or can't have on my show. And if they tried to do so, I would say, yeah, not going to work. Okay? That's important, I think, in general, to break that down. Now, that's the attacks that are coming. Now, Jimmy Kimmel just did a a seven-and-a-half-minute monologue attacking Aaron Rodgers last night. Aaron Rodgers now responded on the Pat McAfee show. Uh... And here's what I would say about this in general. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, save $30 on the American-made Steel FS56 RCE Trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Jimmy Kimmel's primary attack angle on Aaron Rodgers is that Aaron Rodgers isn't that smart. He's just a football player. And why are people paying attention to what Aaron Rodgers has said? Here's the problem. I think Aaron Rodgers has been right on a lot of what he said about COVID and the mandating of the COVID shot. And big picture, this is an attack that you'll see regularly happen. Uh, And let me just kind of break this down for you. People have come at me for a long time over whatever opinion I might share on COVID or anything else, but let's use COVID as an example. And they say, I'm sorry, where did you get your MD? And my response to that is, well, I didn't go get a medical degree, but I could have become a doctor if I had wanted to. Instead, I went to law school. I also got an MFA. Like, whether you like or dislike me, I would have scored well enough on the MCATs to become a doctor. There's a different multiverse out there. I wasn't interested in being a doctor. I don't think I would have really enjoyed it. But there's a multiverse out there where maybe Clay Travis, because I thought when I was in 7th or 8th grade, I thought I might like to be a doctor. So there's probably a multiverse out there where Clay Travis goes off to college, decides to take the MCATs, goes and gets an MD. Really, when you get an MD or JD or an MBA or any advanced degree and then you study for it, it's really just an IQ test, okay? So most lawyers, I really do believe this, and most doctors could have done either job. I think most doctors, if they had said, hey, instead I want to be a lawyer, I think most doctors could have gone and gotten a law license. And I think most lawyers could have gone and gotten a medical license. I really do believe this. And I've been saying it for a long time. The bar exam is really just a trumped up IQ test. Because if you study for it long enough, you should be able to pass the bar exam if your IQ is a high enough level. So, When you attack people because they're not experts or because they went to community college or because they didn't go uh, to elite enough academic institutions for you to care about their opinion, I just fundamentally reject that. I I do. There are lots of super smart people who never have the opportunity to go to community college, who don't have the opportunity to go to college, who don't have the opportunity to go to law degree to get a law degree like I did or to go to med school. I'll give you one. My name is Clay Travis. I was named after my grandfather, Clay Travis. He dropped out of school in 8th grade in Kentucky and had to start working. Super smart guy. The reason that I have the opportunities that I have today is because my grandfather was successful enough for my own dad to get to go to college. And then my own dad was able to allow me to go to college, grow up in a middle-class family, and then go on to get advanced degrees and become a lawyer. My grandfather died when I was 10 years old. So I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him. But based on the success he had in life from dropping out in eighth grade to working in DuPont his entire life at the factory here, which is why I grew up in Nashville, 
he set the table for me to have the opportunity that I have today. And he may well have been way smarter than me. But he didn't have the opportunities that I have in front of me. And so the idea that you would say, well, Clay Travis is dumb, my grandfather. He only went to school until the eighth grade. It's just not true. He was very, very smart. He was just born dirt poor, and he had to go work in coal mines. So he didn't have the opportunity to even go to high school, to say nothing of go to community college or go on to uh, college or law school or med school or anything else. But I think he was smart enough to have been a doctor or a lawyer. So when you denigrate someone based on what their educational level is, I think you are engaging in elitism, which I don't necessarily buy into. I think you should judge people based on their intelligence. What I have seen from Aaron Rodgers is, guy seems pretty smart. I don't know what he got on his SAT or his ACT, but my understanding is he went to community college Not because he couldn't go to college somewhere else, but because he wanted to be able to try to play quarterback in college and nobody would give him a scholarship. And he was undersized, I think under six foot, and then he grew like four or five inches and he got admitted to Cal, not because he wasn't smart enough to go to Cal in the first place, but because... He went to community college for the same reason that a lot of people go to community college to try to provide a better opportunity for himself. And in this case, he wanted to play football. And he grew and he became elite enough to finally get a football scholarship offer. I would wager a lot of money that Aaron Rodgers could have been admitted to Stanford, that he could have been admitted to Michigan, that he could have been admitted to Vanderbilt or Duke based on his academics But they didn't take him because he wasn't a good enough player. I know Aaron Rodgers a little bit. I don't know his academic background. I would make that argument. And I think it's weak to argue, oh, I'm not going to take Aaron Rodgers seriously because he went to community college. He's been right about a lot of things about COVID. And this is big. This is important. The reason why we haven't gotten a reckoning for all the lies we were told about COVID about the COVID shots, about uh, natural immunity, shutting down schools, the fact that uh, we decide what were essential and non-essential businesses is because the elites in our society don't like who the people were who ended up being correct about everything with COVID. They don't want to acknowledge the people like me who said, you shouldn't shut down schools. You don't need to wear masks. We shouldn't be trying to distinguish between essential and non-essential businesses. They don't want to acknowledge that we were right. They don't want to admit that all these stupid red state Trump voters were right. You know why? Because there's a lot of people in America who don't have that much actual success, but they want to look down at other people because they got a degree. And there's a form of elitism. And I don't mean elite in the context of you're the best at what you do. I mean, you're not actually that good, but you went to a good college 
and you can't figure out why you haven't had the success that you wanted to have in life. And so it makes you feel better to say, oh, well, at least I'm on the science team. I'm not like one of those stupid anti-COVID shot, anti-maskers that lives down in Alabama or Tennessee or Florida or Texas. You rubes, you ignorant losers, okay? They won't admit that they were wrong because their intellect and the idea that they are smarter than others is what they derive a huge percentage of their self-worth from. And that's why they can't look at Aaron Rodgers and say, oh, this quarterback, this athlete, because a lot of these people don't like athletics at all, right? They don't like physical work. They don't like brawn. They don't like muscles. They don't like masculinity at all. Oh, this quarterback, he's the one who ended up right about more with COVID than all of these brilliant uh, medical doctors from elite academic institutions. Remember, the Ivy League didn't allow its sports to play in 2020. The Big Ten wasn't going to play unless all those rednecks played at the SEC. I don't think it's a coincidence that the SEC and the Big 12 were saying, hey, we're going to ball. And by the way, I don't think it's a coincidence that Red State said, yeah, we're going to play high school football. Not only are we going to be open, but we're going to play every sport. Because remember, all of the experts, remember when they were saying, oh, if we play football at all, everybody's going to die. Oh, you know how many people are going to die if we play football? I've got to sit with my mask and my face shield on. They were all wrong. And so they're attacking Aaron Rodgers, not because of his opinions, but because he was right on COVID and they were wrong and they're insulted that somehow he got it right. This is important. Now, on the particular Epstein-related issue, Aaron Rodgers, look, I know Jimmy Kimmel. I said this just a few minutes ago on Clay and Buck. I like Jimmy. Uh, I worked with Sal, you guys know, on Fox Bet Live. Uh, I really like Sal. Uh, He's a friend. I've met Jimmy Kimmel several times. I really like Jimmy Kimmel. He's been very friendly to me. Uh, I like Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla. And you know, those guys have totally divergent political opinions and they really get along well. And I think that's the way America should be. So I think Jimmy Kimmel was wrong on COVID. Guess what? He thinks I was wrong on COVID. That's the way life goes. I think I was basically 100% right for the vast majority of the time talking about COVID. Um, And I think Aaron Rodgers was right. Where I would say uh, this whole situation, first of all, I think Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel should have a beer, okay? I will offer up the beer summit. I know Aaron Rodgers a little bit, know Jimmy some. I think if we had a beer summit, I don't want to sound like Barack Obama, but I think if we had a beer summit, these guys probably wouldn't hate each other, okay? And they probably wouldn't be taking shots at each other. In fact, I think it would actually be really interesting if they sat down and they talked. I would moderate a conversation, right? I think it would actually be really interesting and I think I could do that fairly and I think people who disagree on things should talk more often than they do. Um, I understand why Jimmy's upset 
about the idea that uh, he was going to be on the Epstein list or he was a pedophile. There's lots of crazy people out there. I've said this before. Um, I had no idea how crazy people were. I think I've told this story before. If I haven't, maybe this is the first time I told it. When I first started walk, working at Fox, um, we lived downtown Nashville. This was 2013, I think. It might have been 2014. And I uh, was out in L.A. going and doing FS1 for college football. And somebody sent me a message with an aerial view of my house uh, from Google Images. This is the house that I lived in in downtown Nashville. And on that aerial image was my home. And the message said, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, we know when you're in Los Angeles and we know when your wife is home with your two kids by herself. You should keep that in mind. Again, I'm paraphrasing. As a dad, uh, I will tell you that I think anybody who sends a threat like that should be put in prison. Period. I think if you threaten the family of anyone based on any public opinion that they've ever had or anything, I think that should be treated as a very serious crime, and I think you should go to prison. I saw that. I took it to Fox, which is my first thought, um, and I said, can you guys please investigate this? Because they had told us before at Fox, hey, we have an investigative team. If you get threats, turn them over to us. We will conduct an immediate investigation. And to Fox's credit, immediately they tracked down the guy. They showed up at his house. And they said, we have handled it. And it's not going to be an issue anymore. Uh, And it never has been an issue from that guy. I think that guy should be in prison. But they handled it. Um, I've had to go, I live in the Nashville area now, New House. We have had threats sent to our house based on what I do for a living. I have, I don't worry about myself. You can say maybe that I should. I feel like I've had a great life. If somebody killed me tomorrow because of something that I said, as long as it's just me, I, I would have no regrets. I, 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 my goal is to live my life with no fear and to have as much fun and as much of a positive influence as I can every single day. I would have regrets that I wouldn't get to see my kids grow up, but if it was just me that was killed, I, I, I would say, you know what, I don't have any regrets about how I've lived my life. And I'm not going to change my behavior to worry about threats. But when you threaten my wife or my family, that's where things change for me. And frankly, you shouldn't threaten anyone, but it's really not me that I worry about. It's my wife and my family. I give credit to them. Our local police department, I've had to go to them multiple times with threats that have been made against my family. So Jimmy's got, a young, got young kids. Uh, he's got a family. I understand where he's coming from when allegations about Epstein are made. Because 
people are crazy, and when you unleash the loony bin, people's families are threatened on a different level. And so if I were sitting talking to Aaron and talking to Jimmy at the same time, Aaron probably, I think Aaron would get that. He's a single guy. He doesn't have a family. Uh, Not married, doesn't have kids. I'm sure he wants that one day, I would bet. Most guys do at some point. I think he's probably following the Derek Jeter uh, method where you play your whole career out, then you get married, you can focus on family. That would be my guess. But I think Aaron Rodgers would say, yeah, that's wrong. And to the extent that I've aided and abetted that occurring, I feel bad about that. I think that's what Aaron Rodgers would say because I think that's what most people who are decent humans would say. And so I understand why Jimmy is upset about that allegation associated with the, uh, the Epstein case because it's not about him. It's about the threats that then rain down on his family. I get it. I've been there. I deal with that on a regular basis too. Anybody in the public eye does who has a family. But let me tell you this too. I think a lot of the animus about Aaron Rodgers, and this is where I think Aaron Rodgers is right, is because he was right about COVID. And because so many of us that were attacked for the last four years for saying, yeah, I think COVID probably came from a lab. And I don't think we should shut down schools. And I don't think it makes sense to mask anyone, much less kids. And I don't think we should be deciding what's the essential and non-essential business. And I think we can play sports safely. I was right about all that. And I was attacked vociferously for years. I still am because of the positions that I put out on all of those issues, which I believe have been 100% confirmed. I was attacked for saying, hey, the COVID shot doesn't make sense and it's not working. And now everybody suddenly is seeing that. I don't have an MD. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have an MD but I have enough intelligence to look at data and analyze it. And I think the reason Aaron Rodgers is getting attacked is because he was right on that. And what does it say about scientific expertise if Aaron Rodgers and Clay Travis got more right about COVID than Dr. Fauci did? I think it calls in a lot of questions. And again, what I would say is Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback, I happen to think Aaron Rodgers is smart enough to have been a doctor if he wanted to be a doctor. I know I could have been a doctor if I wanted to be a doctor. And I know that my grandfather, who I was named after, that dropped out of school in eighth grade to go start working, could have been a doctor or a lawyer if he had the opportunity. And there are lots of people out there still in this country, like my grandfather, who didn't have the good fortune to have the ability to get advanced degrees that are really freaking smart and particularly are smart about their own body and their own health in a way that makes the experts unhappy. So every time somebody says, oh, do you, where's your MD? Where's your JD? Where is your, uh, where's your degree in business. I don't have a degree in business. I built a $100 million company. There's a lot of MBAs sitting around out there that have never done that and will never do that. So you can either trust my intelligence, say, hey, you know what? I think Clay Travis is a pretty smart guy. I may not agree with him or disagree. Or you can say he's a total idiot. 
It was right on COVID. And I think that's really where this all comes from. But I do think that when I look at the way this whole Aaron Rodgers situation has played itself out, what I really come back to is instead of people sniping in different directions and never actually being together, what I would suggest is I think Jimmy Kimmel and Aaron Rodgers actually sitting down together, and I'd be happy to facilitate, moderate in some way this conversation. I think it would actually be really helpful. And I don't just mean Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel. I mean an American society in general. Because the world we've created, there's very little cross-pollination. That's why I was happy to do Stephen A. Smith's podcast, and I hope you guys listen to my podcast uh, with Stephen A. Smith as well. I've said this for a long time. I would sit down on, like if Rachel Maddow came to me tomorrow and she said, Clay Travis, I want you to be on my show. I'd go do it. Now, there's complications there somewhat because I'm under contract to Fox and Fox might not want me on MSNBC. But if it were, you know, some sort of neutral platform, I would go talk with Rachel Maddow or with Jake Tapper or Anderson Cooper or Caitlin Collins at CNN, those guys. I, I'll talk to anybody. And I'll invite them on my shows. Because I think we need more discussion in person, head-to-head, instead of, oh, I'm going to be on this media sphere and this other guy's in this media sphere, and they just talk past each other to two different audiences. So my big takeaway is Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Kimmel, I think you guys would have a great conversation. I would love to moderate that conversation. I would be happy to do it anywhere. I think you guys would probably end up liking each other. And I'm confident on that because I'm going to give Jimmy Kimmel credit here and Adam Carolla credit here. Those guys are polar opposites in political opinions. They're still best friends. Um, And I think that's actually far more common than the media coverage would suggest that it is. I think people that have wildly divergent political opinions, actually, if they sat down one-on-one, would find out that their opinions are not wildly divergent and that they actually have far more in common than not. So those are my thoughts in general. Um, Hope you enjoyed OutKick the Show as always. I am Clay Travis. Uh, I'll be with you tomorrow, as always, on Clay and Buck. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. Maybe I need to say this uh, because some of you maybe are new to the show. Say, what does that mean? Uh, my general life advice, don't be a pussy. Um, basically, be fearless as much as you can. Don't be a pussy. Secondary life advice, though, SBAP, sometimes be a pussy. And I'll give you an example. I was just in Australia. We were at a beautiful beach. Extraordinary beach. I can't remember the name of it, but just north of Cairns in Australia, Palm Grove, maybe? I might be wrong about it. I think it was Palm something. Beautiful beach. One of the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen in my life. There was a sign. It said, we suggest you not, I'm paraphrasing, we suggest you not swim here because there are saltwater crocodiles. 
Now, I've got three kids, 15, 13, and 9. I could have said, hey, let's all go for a dip in the saltwater crocodile beach. And maybe we would have been fine. Odds are, we probably would have been fine because most times you go swimming on a beach, a saltwater crocodile doesn't grab you and eat you. But occasionally it does. So part of you might say, DBAP, go for it. Don't be a pussy, Clay. Another part of me was saying, sometimes be a pussy. We'll stay on the beach. I'm not going to risk my kids getting eaten by saltwater crocodiles at this beach. There are plenty of other beaches we can go to in the future where I don't have to worry about a saltwater crocodile eating my kids. General rule, don't be a pussy. Subset to that rule, sometimes you should be a pussy. Uh, Love all of you. As always, DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. This has been OutKick, the show.